1: Thanks, Matt, for reading. There's something about, I don't know how many times I've heard the Christmas story, there's something about that that just never, it never gets old. It always seems uh, really fresh, really relevant. I want you to to do something for me, if I could ask a favor. I want you, if you could think of a snapshot or a picture that just would epitomize pure joy, pure joy. I wonder what kinds of things come to mind, and I'm sure it's different for each of us. A picture that Like when I'd see this, for some of you, maybe even a a Christmas card that you got in the mail recently is that picture. It's like there's a a family together and everybody is smiling. At least when the picture was taken, everybody was smiling and uh, maybe that's it. Or maybe you have uh, a ball game, you know, the team. I I mean, I've been to those moments where the team scores and like I'm high-fiving strangers, giving hugs to people I've never met. And we're, we're just so fired up and then the energy rises and, and maybe that's it for you. Maybe there's a picture of, maybe it's a little bit quieter, not that, like not that intense. Maybe it is, maybe a picture of pure joy would be what happens after a meal when like you don't move from the kitchen table, but you stay at the kitchen table. Sometimes those are the, the best moments where you stay there even for an hour, even if the chairs aren't so comfortable, but you sit there and you talk and like there's people that really matter to you and there's I don't know, there's good-natured ribbing. There's exaggerated stories that now have taken on a life of their own. There's inside jokes that you have because these people matter to you and you've kind of rehearsed these things all these years. And maybe that's the picture of joy to you. Or maybe it's a relationship that worked out and that all, all you can do is smile about it. Or maybe it is great news you're expecting someone is got accepted into this place, someone got a promotion, or maybe it's a milestone or event and experience. So there's, there's probably lots of things I would imagine that we could get a picture, a mental picture in our mind of what joy is. And it's a pretty good season to think about that. The Christmas season is because we're bombarded with images and songs, even, not, even ones that are not, you know, come all you faithful or hark the herald angels. I mean, there are just plenty of other songs that aren't about Jesus and Bethlehem and, and Mary and Mangers. There's plenty of those songs as well that will that will be joy-based. They'll have joy in there and have some sort of idea of happiness and, and Christmas music. And then there are the Christmas movies that always seem to like, uh, you can watch it a hundred times and yet it's still like that part, you know it's coming, You've, you know the whole paragraph of lines and you can go back and forth, but it always, it always makes you laugh to see it again and again. And then there's certainly food that can put a smile on my face. Let's... Uh, as we think about those pictures, there are so many things about that that really, again, don't have anything to do with Jesus and his birth. It would be very easy, I think, to see this season of the year as something that just has gotten associated with joy, and you almost, do we reprimand the world for hijacking a holiday? Don't you know the real reason for it? I mean, we could, we could go down that road, and yet, at the same time, I think if we could cool our self-righteous jets a little bit, there are worse things than people smiling. There are worse things than people enjoying time together. And there's something, I don't know what it is about season, but there is something that like the end of the year, there is something that pushes even the whole culture toward some aspect, some celebration, some aspect of joy and things are lit up, and I mean, again, we could go, well, that's not real joy, but I don't know, when you see some smiles and you see things lit up, and you are being with people that matter a lot, and you give something that's meaningful, you receive something that's meaningful, there, it's hard for me to go, yeah, that's not joy at all. Like, well, wait a minute, that is from God. Whether someone even knows Jesus as their Savior, there's something good in that. And we all can understand and appreciate that corporate America pushes us toward consumerism and materialism, and there's all sorts of hype, and I mean, Home Depot is not just making Christmas commercials to make a smile, they're, they're doing it so that we buy something, and Amazon and Coke, and all, I mean, we, we know this, we know how this game's played, but I really, again, I'm not eager to scold people, because I do think, I wonder if the joy that actually is not out of place at all, the joy that comes at this season could help push us to appreciate what even Elizabeth just led us in singing, Christ is born. Christ is born. There's something about that that what if it is even the season that pushes us to realize there is real reason for joy. The story of Christmas in the Bible of God loving the world so much that he sent his one and only son as a human to rescue this world, to save it. That story is one of joy. And I realize there's plenty, there are plenty of things that cause me stress and not joy right now in this world. But again, I go to Luke 1 and Luke 2, tell a story of joy. I mean, Luke is one of the main recorders of the, the Christmas story, the one that Matt read a moment ago. It's from the pen of Luke. And Luke, Luke writes a lot about joy. As a matter of fact, as you go in Luke 1 and 2, you read the word again and again and again, words of joy. As a matter of fact, just in the first two chapters of Luke, there are six different words in the original language that are synonyms related to this concept of joy. Six different words. And actually I thought, I wonder if our time would be best spent taking a tour it's going to have to be a quick tour, but a tour through where those words are mentioned. Because I actually want you to see in God's Word. So, if you have a, have a copy, a, you know, paper copy, electronic copy, I, I'm glad for you to keep that open. It also will be on the screen if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you today. But I want you to see with your own eyes how this story, the undercurrent, is just wave after wave after wave of joy. And so, we're going to start in Luke chapter 1 and verse 13, because that's where the kind of joy vocabulary is used. In, in Luke 1.13, it says this, The angel said to Zechariah, and we talked about him last week, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So this is a, kind of a precursor, a forerunner to Christ who's going to prepare the way for Jesus. But then it says, and you, in verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness. And it won't just be contained to you, Zechariah, or just you, Zechariah, and Elizabeth, but many will rejoice at his birth. Did you see the three words there? Joy and gladness and rejoice. I mean, this is even... This even isn't immediately attached to Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, but this is what God kind of prepares the way for us to appreciate. And, and preparing the way is Zechariah. We talked about him last week, a priest, and his wife, Elizabeth, who had been faithful to God. But now they're in old age and they don't have children. Which tells me they have a walk with God and a life with questions. A walk with God that seems to be faithful. Faithful and questions of, God, why haven't you? When will you? Why didn't you? And then they get this announcement. Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. And you're going to have a son. His name will be John. And it's going to be special for you, but it's going to have a contagious effect. This word joy and this word gladness and this word rejoice, especially that word gladness, it kind of has its parallel in the Old Testament where there would be like this emotional expression would come because Messiah was coming. And they knew when Messiah comes, he's going to handle this world. And, and we're not going to lack for anything. God is. We're glad because of what God has done in the past, but we're glad that God is not finished. And so there was a sense of gladness, and that's the word. And this word would not be lost on this family, that you're going to have joy and gladness, and many are going to rejoice at his birth. God's moving, and God's moving. You can read it all over Luke 1. God's moving in a unique way. And we have to keep moving because we find another reference to joy. And it's, it comes connected to another angelic visit. This isn't with Zechariah. This is with Mary. Remember last week, we called these visits like mercy visits. It's God showing up in mercy. And even as the angel greets her, it's interesting in, in Luke 1.28, the angel comes and, and greets Mary... It says, you are a favored woman, and the Lord is with you. And that word greeting, like greetings, is it's certainly a word that could be like, hello, or hi, or how are you doing, all all those kinds of things. But it's interesting in the original, that word is actually joy. So it's like joy comes to you. And I I thought, what a beautiful greeting. Not surprising that the angel would use that one to not just say hello, but to say joy is in this place. And I know it's a a normal greeting, but I think it's hard not to see something else going on there. The angel actually has really good news for Mary in verse 31 of Luke chapter 1. If you can skip down there, he says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And Mary knew what these promises meant. She knew exactly, exactly what was being promised here was Messiah. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And Mary, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no and it's, it's just kind of amazing. We've been talking over the last several weeks about the bright spots, and we looked at several kings in the Old Testament, and the bright spot was God working in this king's life. King, even Manasseh, and, and Asa, and Jehoshaphat, and Josiah, and all these kings, how he was working in those lives. And then it goes like really dark for a long time, and then God makes an announcement. He is at work in salvation history again, And it comes in the most unexpected places because we're used to kings with power and rule and reign. And instead, God visits in this most unexpected ways not a king, not someone in charge of the world, but the first wave of his visit that brings joy is a woman who could not have children past the age of having children is having a child. I'm pretty sure no one would have seen that coming. And then the second wave right after that is a woman who never had, and frankly, all the scholars tell us this is a teenager who never had sexual relationships with a man, is told, you are going to bear the Messiah, God the Son. You just sense the joy, like no one saw this coming. This was in the category of the last thing you might expect. And that's why I think the angel has a very clear word to Mary, and it's a clear word to us, and that is in Luke 1 for nothing. I mean, we just got to hear this, like nothing will be impossible with God if you're Mary. So let's, let's put these two ladies who seem to be unlikely characters for the prime movers in God's, God's salvation history here. And if I put Elizabeth and Mary, like, I'm sure they would want to talk to, but who do you talk to? I mean, how do you explain what God has done in these angelic visits? And so God, in His sovereignty and in His kindness, like organized their family tree years, think about this, decades, decades, and decades back, that their family tree would be the same, and Elizabeth wants to talk to Mary, and Mary wants to talk to Elizabeth, and they come together, and there we get the other, another picture, another picture of joy, more language of joy in Luke 1 and verse 41, because it says, when Elizabeth met, Mary. Elizabeth hears the greeting of Mary, and instantly, I love this picture because it's so human, and yet something beyond, beyond that is going on. The baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit engaged, and this word leap is new. You see it there again in verse 44, and actually you get two words of joy there. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb, Elizabeth speaking, leaped for joy. And this kind of leaping isn't just the physical activity of jumping, but it is, a, it is a movement of joy. And what seems so like in a different world actually has come to this world and even the movement of the unborn child, John, brings joy. God is doing the impossible. And he's doing it not somewhere in heaven, not somewhere in outer space. But Elizabeth feels that movement. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And feels that joy. One of the main places that Luke talks a lot about joy is actually in Luke 15. Some of you will know those the that's the chapter where there's the story of the lost, the lost sheep, the lost son, the lost coin. I could say even the lost sons because both seem estranged from the father. And there's all these references. There's like a dozen references in Luke 15. And some of them even deal with very physical things like we're having a party. We're celebrating. We're going to rejoice. There's more joy in heaven because a sinner that repents. I mean, this is the language of Luke. And that's exactly some of the language we're feeling here. There's joy. It's an undercurrent of the Bible. It's an undercurrent of Luke. But here in the Christmas story, it's right there. We're looking and we're seeing joy all over the place. The work of God does something in Mary's heart. And she says this in Luke 1.46. Again, skip down there. You see her saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. So actually, there's something about that. Where Mary says when God does work in her heart, her soul is magnifying the Lord. It's not that the pinnacle of her joy is I get to express myself, but the pinnacle of her joy is like, look what God is doing. Do you see that? It says, my soul magnifies the Lord in verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, because he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. My spirit rejoices in God. My Savior, Mary, knew she needed one, and mind-blowing, I mean, she is carrying the child that will deliver and rescue and save, God the Son. There is joy. You see her rejoicing. You see Zechariah and Elizabeth rejoicing. But as you go back even to Zechariah and Elizabeth, you find like joy is contagious. Look at verse 57. It says, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And notice what happens in verse 58. This joy is contagious. I mean, the angel told Zechariah this would happen, and now it's coming true. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And this is actually a new word. It says, and they rejoice with her. So, rejoice with. It's like that joy isn't going to be contained to just Elizabeth, just to Zechariah, but now it's, it's a community thing. We sing these songs like the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Like something's happening here and joy is coming and it's happening with the birth of John and it's going to happen with the birth of Jesus and it's like the, the music, the volume is getting turned up and it's getting louder and louder and louder. And this joy is contagious. It means what happens with John being born actually has a ripple effect and many many are enjoying that. What happens with Mary rejoicing in who Jesus is has a ripple effect. It becomes contagious because it is tapping into something ultimate and permanent not temporary. We're going through Luke 1 and 2 really, really quickly but Matt read a moment ago kind of where this, where this theme of joy ends as far as the birth of Christ. And in Luke chapter 2 in verse 6, let's hear it again. We heard it a moment ago, but in verse 6 it says, while Mary and Joseph were there, the time came for Mary to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were filled with great fear. But the angel said to them, and let's get our ears ready to hear, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. And here it is again, of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And shepherds, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws lying in a manger. Good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. Why is it great joy? Because it's for everyone. That's what the passage, that's what the angel said. It's good news of great joy for all the people. Good news of great joy because the Savior has been born for you. For you. You will be the beneficiary. If you place your faith in Christ, it's born for you. Good news of great joy because the Messiah, it's Christ the Lord. He keeps His promises. Good news of great joy because the Lord has come, the one who rules everything. Good news of great joy, shepherds, because right now you can go and see Him have an encounter with God in flesh. The entire story is soaked in joy. It's soaked in joy. And I, I want... I wanted you to see those words for yourself, that this whole passage, there's a reason why Christmas, why we would be joyful. But I actually want to take just a a couple moments and draw some conclusions with all that we've read. And I want to make sure we, we think of joy in the right way. I think one of those conclusions, I would want to make sure we realize that even in this story, that the deepest joy doesn't mean the absence of sadness and difficulty for now. In other words, I don't think like there's this meter where it kind of like slides and if you're really joyful, that means you can't be sad at all about anything. Or if you're really sad, that means like, hey, you need to be, you need to get some more joy in your life as if it's either this or that because I find in this story, it doesn't quite work that way. Sometimes we get the feeling like Christmas, we've, we do have to be like emotionally high and happy and maybe we just have to fake it. Is that what's happening here? Well, I mean, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they experienced great joy, but they also, like John, is going to have a long, long road and it's going to end in a very, very difficult way. And I can't help but think Joseph and Mary would have to wonder and probably even worry about the difficult days ahead with how all of this happened. And everybody in Israel at that time still, the Romans weren't going anywhere and the, the times will be difficult. So that does mean that the deepest joy doesn't mean, yep, and there's going to be no sadness at all. That is not the way it is for now, which maybe you need to hear that. It might be for you because life is maybe for you not in a good place and you're hurting and you're lonely. You have questions, you have frustrations, you lost something very, very important to you. And is God just telling you to fake it so that you can do kind of the joy thing? And I would say 100% God is not telling you to fake anything. All the mess that I talked about, though, doesn't diminish that God has come. And that will not change. And that God is the, has come in flesh and Jesus is here and Lord and Savior. It doesn't change any of that. So yes, we can be sad, but we can still rejoice because it's not like this meter that slides. We can have both at the same time. And yes, this may be a really tough Christmas. And yes, this may be the Christmas where we anchor more deeply to say, yes, I know he's come to actually clean up everything, to change everything. And one day he will come and permanently set this world to to the way it was meant to be. And everything will be restored The deepest joy doesn't mean absence of sadness and difficulty. By the way, also these announcements and events that bring joy, they bring joy because they change everything. And with the coming of Jesus, it changes everything permanently. And that gives us another layer of joy because this is something that's not going to be temporary. The commercials promise us something, but we know a lot of times, I mean, the the high that we get from buying that or getting that, it does run out. But then you read a story like this and say, This is permanent. Life will never be the same for Zechariah, Elizabeth, Joseph, Mary, shepherds, and it will never be the same for us because, under all of this story, is the joy that God has come and met us where we are. And, and, And by that, I also mean that the joy that we're reading about here isn't based on a transaction, it's a response to a gift. God isn't really making offers here. Zechariah, if you will, for a short time, I can offer you, here's the code, here's the coupon. Because you did this, because you did this enough times, this earns you a what. That's not, the, that's not what's going on. It's announcements. Grace has come. Jesus has come for sinners. That's what the picture is Here. And that changes things if we know that joy. I, I received grace, I, I didn't earn it. Which also means it can't be tampered with because God is determined to show grace to his people. Is there a good way to celebrate not just like the gift but the giver? I'm sure there are a million good ways. I'd love for us to end today though celebrating it with remembering what our Lord did for us on the cross through communion. As you came in, I hope you picked up the bread and the juice. In a moment, we're going to take that. We're going to do something that Christians have done in some form or shape since, think about this, for 2,000 years. I mean, since the hours before Jesus was crucified. And we're going to identify with the bread and the juice. We're going to identify and we're going to say, that was for me. And this is what I recognize. There are many in the room who you identify with Jesus as his follower and you say, His body was broken for me. His blood was shed for me. And I want to invite you, if you've made that profession, in a moment to take that, to take that with us. But I also know you may not be there yet. You may be saying, Curtis, I'm interested, but I'm not sure there I'm at a place of faith. I would love to talk with you. I would love for this Christmas season to have a conversation about what it would mean to have personal faith in Jesus. And if you're not there, please please don't feel like you should take this. This is for those that are identifying, saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. You're the one. I'm not just celebrating the gift. I'm, I am looking to the giver, and Hebrews 12 will take us there, Hebrews 12 too. Let's end with these verses, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, do you see that word there, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We just take a few moments to prepare our hearts and look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray.